This is a recording of the FinTech Talk Show held live on Clubhouse on July 20th, 2021. Here's your host. Welcome to another edition of FinTech Talk. I'm your host, Patty Ramanathan from the iValley Innovation Center in San Francisco Bay Area. We have a great lineup of speakers from around the world, so I'm not going to take up too much time um, on, on the intro. But real to set the conversation up, and also a little bit about iValley for those who are new here. iValley is a third-generation startup factory in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. We host these shows to talk about the future we're building with our partners and startups. We've had great engagement with these sessions on Clubhouse, with topics ranging from the future of crypto economy to embedded finance, the future of wealth management, to crypto startups from around the world. That was our previous show and even the future of media and events. If you missed any of those shows, we have them recapped. And from today, we're going to have them recorded and published as podcast on our Substack, which is fintechtalk.substack.com. So do check out and subscribe to that if you're interested in these topics. Today's session is about challenger banks and fintechs for small business, the powerhouse, um, powerhouse of the economy. We have a great lineup, as I mentioned, who I will introduce momentarily. But let me start with this really inspirational quote from the painter Vincent van Gogh, the Dutch painter for those who know. Um, Great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Let's talk about that beautiful thought today, starting small and thinking big. Uh, You will see that sentiment echoed during the show today. I'm delighted to welcome an eclectic group of dynamic visionaries who are shaping the world of small business technology. Let me start. Paul Loberman, Chief Product Officer at Untied. Adi Engel, uh, she's the Chief Marketing Officer at Visita. Nir Netzer, FinTech Innovation Strategist and Founding Partner at the Equitech Group. Araminta Robertson, Marketing Consultant at the Mint Studios. Nathan Baumeister, CEO at Z-Suite Technologies. And last but not least, Derek Sutton. He's marketing at Autobooks. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, Patty, great to be here. Great. Um, Let's have some brief opening remarks about um, the folks on the stage. You can talk about your company, anything else you want to include in your introduction. Let's start. Let's do ladies first. Uh, Adi, um, you want to go first? Well, thank you so much. <laughs> that was a 50-50 call, right? So uh, I'm, I'm glad to have won the draw. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for, for having us. And uh, yeah, I, I love that quote to start with. Uh, small things brought together. And if anything, for today, I think we can definitely talk about the bringing together element because we're looking at, uh, you know, challenger banks and fintechs building an ecosystem to help small businesses. And and that's crucial for this time. Uh, Our perspective on this, uh, Visita has been uh, building uh, tools for small businesses to digitalize their business operations uh, for 10 years now. We help them manage their um, clients, their time, and their money. And we're basically looking to um, simplify and automate as much of their day-to-day because we realize that eventually their time is their most precious thing. Uh, Always has been, and now more than ever. And, you know, 
coming to to this conversation very much looking forward to hear everyone's uh, insights from their different perspectives on, you know, how can we, again, as partners, as an ecosystem, best serve that segment that is, you know, by far for me, the most exciting segment in the economy these days. Yes, I agree. And and some have been heard uh, for the last 15 or 18 months on COVID. So all the more, uh, all the, um, more important that we, we address that. Thank you, um, Adi. Um, who wants to go next? Uh, Paul, uh, do you want to go next? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so as I said, um, I'm based in London. Um, I accidentally fell into banking and finance um, um, many years ago, but it's probably a story for another day. Um, uh, but I spent most of my career at uh, Santander um, uh, on the bank side. Uh, I also worked for Barclays and HSBC, did a load of um, digital transformations in the UK and US. Um, but I kind of fell in love with the small business segment. Um, when I moved back to London, I, I spent six years in the US as well. Um, and uh, work for HSBC as global head of digital for business banking uh, for a few years. Um, and and I, I got to travel around uh, a lot. We rolled out a new proposition across 10 countries and really kind of got to listen to business owners and, and help solve some of their problems. Um, and that's where I kind of fell in love with this segment and saw, you know, what an amazing opportunity there was to to help small business owners and, and saw that they were underserved. So um uh i lucky enough that when i left hbc i joined a startup so i've now kind of been both sides of the fence on the banks and the startup and the fintech side um uh, and i'm chief product officer at untied um with the uk's personal tax app um so everybody knows nobody likes to pay too much tax everybody gets worried about getting it right and and you know doing filings um and that goes for small businesses um uh, too and in the uk you know, small business owners, self-employed, property landlords, they all file personal taxes. Um, and we have an app that gathers their bank transactions using open banking, makes tax sense of them, and then we prepare their filings automatically and send them to the tax authority um, uh, straight through. So uh, as Adi says, you know, this is all about kind of saving time um, and doing your taxes can take a lot of time. Um, uh, in the UK, it's, it's kind of manual process. So we're trying to automate um, that for small business owners. Wonderful. Are, are you coming to the US anytime? Maybe I should check um, you out. <laughs> uh, well, um, maybe in the future, but at the moment we're very focused on the UK. There's enough um, uh, uh, work to do uh, here, but but yeah, maybe we'll get into that um, uh, during the conversation. But there's, yeah, it's, exci- <laughs> it's an exciting area. Sounds good. Yeah. And underserved your point. Uh, I'll underscore that. Right. Small business traditionally be underserved. So it's great to see the kind of the focus and the momentum from startups like yours and Adi's. Um, so great. So I, I see a lot of folks have just come in. So we're just doing an opening round, guys, and we'll talk about the, the startups and, and the future of small business fintechs. There's a lot going on there. So hang in there. Let me go next, um, maybe to um, Nathan. Oh, great. Excited to be here, Patty, and uh, talking to everybody. Um, name's Nathan Baumeister, the CEO of a company here in the U.S. called uh, Z Suite Technologies. Uh, we work directly with banks um, in providing them technology to help them compete 
with uh, with getting business more business clients, and our focus is, is to give them technology that's built to allow them to fulfill niche strategies. And so the 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 way that we're currently doing it is we have a escrow and sub accounting system that can be used and configured for the type different types of businesses that need escrow and sub accounting. There's a whole bunch of different rules and regulations depending on the industry, depending on which state they're in, depending on which city they're in, um, that if they are managing escrow deposits or sub accounts, the different rules they need to follow. So uh, along with many of the uh, talking points that we've heard so far, in the end, it's uh, for the bank to allow um, their business clients um, to save time and uh, just to also help them be uh, more secure and understanding of the compliance that they find themselves in and that they're operating in. Great. Very niche area and love, love to learn more how, how that um, kind of addresses some of the small business pains too, but welcome, welcome, Nathan. Um, maybe go around to Derek next. Hey, Patty. Um so in addition to running the Nathan Baumaster fan club, uh, I also lead marketing at AutoBooks. And so what AutoBooks does and, and really what we're all about is we embed and integrate digital invoicing, online payments, in-app payment acceptance tools, plus cash flow management, um, accounting, and, and, and reporting tools directly into digital banking environments so that financial institutions kind of recapture the relationship with the business owner so that now a business owner can sign up directly with a financial institution in the U.S. to accept customer payments, to send digital invoices and not have to use, you know, a third party provider like PayPal or Square or what have you. So really helping um, financial institutions recapture and better serve and monetize those small business relationships. Great. Um, thanks. I, I see some folks raising hand as well. Um, there's a new tool back channel in Clubhouse. It's kind of like a paper clip or paper airplane type icon right about the microphone for me. So if you want to send your questions to me, I'll, I'll, I'll feed them in and I'll bring you up as well. But uh, thanks, Derek, um, for for that introduction and both you and Nathan and great that you're, you're also a part of Nathan's fan club, um, are, are kind of directing your good market is with direct to, not direct to consumers or small business, but to financial institutions. And I'd like to kind of drill down on that later in the show. But thank you for those remarks. Um, Arminta, maybe go next. Sure. Uh, thank you, Patty, for having me on. It's a pleasure. Uh, it's great to be with such a great, great panelists. So really, I, I'm a marketing consultant for fintech companies. I help fintech companies uh, acquire and retain customers online with uh, written content. And really, I'm also a podcaster and, and newsletter writer. I think what I can bring to the table here is more how do other fintech companies um, target small business owners, their marketing strategy is successful and not successful. We do a lot of, I do a lot of case studies, a lot of analysis, and I've been talking with fintech companies like um, Oak North uh, and like many others. I mean, Untied also, as Paul knows. Um, so I'm hoping to, yeah, just share kind of their successes, what's worked for them. And it's always great to have, you know, a lot of ideas um, and any other, obviously, marketing tips that, I know, and digital marketing as well. So yeah, looking forward to the conversation. 
would, would love love those insights. I think that's very useful for uh, not only the speakers, but also uh, folks in the audience. So thank you, Armenta, for joining and sharing that perspective. Um, last but not least, uh, Nir, um, tell us, you're, you're, you're kind of more of an incubator, but tell us uh, your, your opening remark. Hi, Perry. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So we're uh, not quite an incubator. Yeah, I'm, I'm the chairman of the Israeli Fintech Association, Fintech Aviv. So we are in touch with a bunch of Israeli fintechs from all the range. Uh, we're also um, working with financial institutions to help them scout for innovation. So we're actually mitigating the gaps between these fintechs who are looking for their new clients and between the challenger banks and the traditional financial institutions who are looking for innovation to deploy or to invest in. So, um, yeah, that's what we do. Uh, my background, I um, used to work for Ernst & Young for a few years. And seven years ago, I founded the Israeli Fintech Association along with Equitech Group. This is our fintech consultancy. So great to be here. And I, I hope I can contribute value here um, and, uh, in the next uh, hour or so. Thank you. Yeah. And we usually go a little over an hour, but Nir, thank you. And we've had some other folks from the Middle East and Israel on the show. So we love to get that kind of meta or macro perspective of what you're seeing um, from from the fintech sitting in Tel Aviv. Um, thank you. Thank you all for your um, opening remarks. And for those in the audience, as I said, we're recording the show. If you want have some questions for the speakers, just back channel the little icon there uh, to me, and I'll try to get them in the conversation. Um, I think everyone talked about uh, some of the challenges here, right? Small business, they're uh, typically underserved, um, and, and, and um, the, the, the digitization has been kind of on the lower side. So maybe let's do an open round and set the context, right? What are the current challenges for small business, the community, uh, some of you or most of you are trying to serve? And what is the case for digital transformation? We've heard uh, umpteen number of times the case for digital uh, transformation for the enterprise. But what is the case for digital transformation and innovation for small business? Open round. So go ahead, uh, whoever wants to go first. Uh, this is Nathan. I'll just jump in real quick. It's interesting when you focus on small businesses, there's multiple challenges that they run into. One of the challenges that most of them aren't running into is that the technology, whether or not the technology exists to help them run their businesses more efficiently. Technology is out there across multiple spectrums to help run their business. However, they oftentimes don't have the time to be able to evaluate the different solutions. They don't have resources to be able to evaluate them and learn about them to implement them. And oftentimes they don't have the money to be able to um, actually get them installed. And so though there has been a lot of digital innovation in the commercial sector to be able to help a lot of these folks, small businesses oftentimes aren't able to be able to actually use them because of the complexity, the cost, et cetera, of kind of those larger enterprise solutions that are out there. And uh, with that, that leaves a big space for a lot of companies um, that have grown recently in the last few years. But um, it's still very, very much a, a growing market and a, a place where, whether it be banks or direct-to-consumer fintechs, to really be able to make a, 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 big, um, a big grab there. Go ahead, Adi. Um, yeah, I wanted to follow up on, on Nathan's point. I think um, definitely time is an issue, but uh, for, from our perspective where we have a 
a product that's been designed specifically for micro businesses. I would say that it's not necessarily a question of, of budgets or, or setup uh, time, but rather the ability of um, quite a few people that's not unique to small business owners um, to articulate a need, um, go ahead on whatever, on, on Google, uh, search for it, uh, find whatever landing page, start the 14 days trial. I think there is, you know, the, the lack of potentially uh, good, you know, valuable advice on what systems do I need? You know, there's there's a lot of information out there, a lot of people competing for those business owners' attention that that potentially could be the gap. And, and what we found is that eventually, and, and this is, again, across many segments, many verticals, this is not unique to small business owners, that, um, you know, early adapters at the end of the day are under under 10% of the market. And if we're looking to, you know, to have any, a level of engagement and conversation with any of the other adoption phases of technology, we have to find them where they are, as opposed to um, them coming to find us. So I think this is definitely where the bank partnerships come in, the channel partnerships come in. And obviously we're going to expand on that uh, later on, but I, I feel like the discoverability uh, gap is is what's in particular stopping some of our potential customers uh, in finding us. Got it. Go ahead, yeah. Derek. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. So, and the reason in, in the macro is because uh, just time and the resource the resource budget conversation they're always having with themselves. So what I mean by that is in the U.S. economy, you've got 31.7 million business owners that are kind of registered with the SBA. 81% of those businesses don't have any employees. Of the remaining 19%, over 80% of them have less than four employees. So what that tells us is that most small business owners in the U.S. are, they're the person performing the trade, the craft offering the service, but they're also managing payables, managing receivables, et cetera, et cetera. What happens because of that is they, in many cases, react to the market and they react to customers, uh, specifically when it comes to getting paid and things of that nature. So if I'm a business owner, I have a cash flow problem consistently. Every small business owner in the, in, in the economy typically has a cash flow problem. And the cash flow problem is always, I'm looking for ways to compress day sales outstanding. The shift that's happened and taken place in banking is uh, accepting customer payments has really moved and it was accelerated in 2020 from in-person cash and check to now online and digital, in-app, et cetera. And so the whole small business market's having to react to really customer demand and customer shift, shift of, okay, how do I want to pay you? If you just start with that simple premise of, how do I accept customer payments now being, you know, interrupted, disrupted, whatever you want to use. I'm having to react to that. My reaction is I now start to download a plethora of, of third-party FinTech apps because that's what my customer says. Hey, do you accept PayPal? Do you accept Venmo? Do you expect, uh, accept Cash App? What have you? Then my bank comes in and do you accept Zelle and um, so forth and so on. And now um, we've taken business owners and we've really fragmented 
the way that they accept customer payments. We frag fragmented uh, the way they look at cash flow. Uh, we fragmented their central bucket of access to capital and working capital, all compounded on a category that already had cash flow problems. And so now, now we're making it even worse. And so I think when we, we kind of look at this market and we're looking at the technology, the, but the upside opportunity is helping them with that problem. Um, which I think simply putting them back in control and at the front of how can we simplify cash flow for you, which traditionally or, or most importantly starts with how can we make it simpler for you to be in control of accepting customer payments? And then from there, um, you know, there's all sorts of things we can do with data, um, access to capital, things of that nature. But, but hopefully that makes sense. Like that's to me the major starting point with the technology disruption and what's ahead of us for, for small business. Can I can I just jump in? Yeah, there? go ahead. Because um, uh, I agree with Derek there in terms of that small business owners tend to spend more of their time on the kind of non-core activities of their business. We used to say that they spend more time on their business than actually in their business. And really, they want to spend time in their business, growing it, um, marketing it, um, you know, recruiting teams, and they spend too much time on some of the non-core activities and even too much money on some of those things whether that um uh, you know take them away from actually doing the the stuff that they want to do um uh, and and we talk a lot about um jobs to be done and the needs of business owners and 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 there's a lot of focus on the challenges they tend to always be focused on the financial side of things you know in terms of like what what can people what what are business owners you know, need to um, you know do they, they need to get paid they need to control their costs they need to manage cash flow exactly as Derek said but but there's there's two other things that they spend too much time on which are a real challenge which is staying compliant whether that's kind of legal or whether that's with tax whether that we cover an admin right there's um, the one of the biggest challenges is there's just so much paperwork and so much admin even on the banking side that takes away the time and, and really saps that kind of energy from business owners. So when I think about challenges for small business owners, I always try and think whether that's not just financial issues around cash flow. It's also um, just a lot of the bureaucracy and admin that, that they need that taken away. No, very true. They don't have like an army of lawyers or accountants and stuff usually. Um, and how can technology help? No, wonderful point, Paul. Um, any any other point here, Armenta? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want I want to take Paul's point and 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 talk about also the, the sales aspect in the business. So you know, I'm I'm usually working with fintech companies offering different technology solution to financial institutions, either if it's banks or investment houses, credit card bureaus, or insurance companies. So you know, it's always hard for these. Uh, small businesses to offer their products and to speak the same language as these huge conglomerates. Uh, you know, usually what we do is actually to mitigate these gaps and to translate the languages to help the, the young uh, companies or the small and medium businesses to understand the real need of the financial institution, the real challenge, the real technological challenge, and actually answer the technological challenge because many, many, many companies are solving problems that are not exist out there. And the big challenge is to understand what is the problem that needs to be solved and to answer with technology or 
with your uh, value proposition, with your uh, service or with your product. Uh, so we are there to basically help these small businesses to understand the problem and to answer with a proper solution. So, you know, I agree with Paul, there are so many aspects in small and medium businesses. And I think that the uh, most challenging, uh, one of the most challenging aspects is probably sales and marketing. And um, I wanted to emphasize this as well. Yeah, we're going kind of the full circle, right? And obviously sales and marketing towards the end, but it has to be early in the conversation. But a lot to unpack there. Um, Araminta, did you have a view from based on your discussions with some of the bigger fintechs, perhaps, uh, before we kind of um, jump into the next round? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone has highlighted kind of the main challenges. I'm just going to mention another one that I've written about a little bit, which is um, new regulations like PSD2 and SCA. Uh, a lot of these small companies, or especially if they're selling online, are having to learn about the intricacies of SCA and uh, 3DS2 which is just like a protocol to make online payments a lot more secure. And basically what Paul said, compliance, and then understanding, um, okay, well, we need to be compliant, but also how can we kind of maximize this new regulation and make sure it doesn't uh, cause a huge increase in drop-off rates. There was, because um, I've been writing about this for Spain specifically, and uh, there are some studies that, that are saying that like the 3D S2 um, could cause like authentication rates as low as 21%. And a huge loss, like billions of euros, just because it's a new way of, of making online payments. Customers are not used to it. Uh, and so kind of merchants and small businesses are going to have to adapt to that. And that's just like another hurdle in itself. A lot of education in there, a lot of kind of explaining how how these new um, regulations work. And then obviously, how can we make sure that these regulations enable rather than inhibit uh, these small businesses? So just another challenge I thought I'd mention. Interesting. Yeah, they, they have less lobbying power, right? So, so it, it, at least in the US. So um, I'm sure it's similar in other um, geographies. So no, interesting point. So a lot to unpack here. So I, I took some notes. So uh, I, I think the main kind of overarching, if I can underscore that, so small business owners typically like they're individuals, but even if they're a small team, they're spending a lot of time in the business and not on the business. And how can we kind of solve that or help them with technology on that? So that starts with um, operational issues, financial issues, yeah, something the banks should be helping them with their relationship managers and all, but maybe there there's some um, opportunities there. And, and to Nir's point around um, sales and marketing, um, they have to not only operate the business, but get uh, grow it as well. So what help do they need? And, and Paul and Armenta there around the whole existing regulations as well as new regulations come in. So there's a lot to unpack there. Maybe we'll take the operational part, the financial part and sales and marketing and, and, and legal and compliance and kind of break it down and maybe give you guys an opportunity to say, where are you helping with your startup, with your product? You're digitizing a lot of this. Maybe kind of talk about that um, as to how you're addressing some of these problems for small businesses. And maybe we can flip the rounds a little bit. Um, Derek, um, do you want to go first? Sure. I, I would just... Um, kind of offer up very simply is Addie mentioned earlier one of the one of the key components is discoverability and so when you look at discoverability plus all of the operational efficiencies we discussed and I'll just keep this very brief our thesis is 
uh, integration and distribution through the financial institution channel offers a lot of efficiency for us as a company, but also helps really um, enhance discoverability, trust, and adoption at the end user level as well. So, you know, case in point, if I'm a if I'm a business owner, I already have an established relationship with a financial institution. There's some level of trust, um, but there's also a, an additional level of KYC, um, longstanding, you know, uh, performance with the financial institution and other benefits um, that can make it simpler to onboard and really start to uh, establish a relationship and provide benefit to an in-business by distribution through that channel. And then also in turn offer additional benefit back to the, to the financial institution by increasing and enhancing their business offerings and their, quite frankly, their ability to compete against uh, third-party fintech providers. And so that's our, you know, kind of related to this conversation, that's where I think we kind of offer some efficiency for the business owner themselves, uh, helping them level up quicker. And then at the same time, providing some benefit and utility back to the ecosystem and the financial institution. Got it. Yeah. And and we'll talk a little bit more about this, Derek, but thanks for bringing it up, right? The, the direct versus partnering or using a channel like a financial institution. Um, so good, good remarks there. And we'll drill down a little bit. Maybe got to Paul. Um, so we talked about Untied's kind of focusing on simplifying tax returns. Um, I, I guess the question is how and and why? And I think you addressed this a little bit. Why is such um, uh, why is this such a, a critical activity for small business? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, so actually, it, when I kind of think back to the jobs to be done for um, small business owners, we, we cover quite a few of them with with some of the features of our app. But the main thing that we do is making sure people stay compliant on the tax side. And and to Aramin's point, it was it was a great one around regulation. In two years' time in the UK, there's uh, a new piece of regulation kind of uh, coming in. Well, well, not necessarily regulation, but the tax authority is basically going completely digital. And, and what that means is that uh, about 6 million self-employed people are going to have to file their tax returns using software, whereas they might do it now on paper or they might do it directly with the tax authority. And they're no longer going to be able to do that. So that's that's a kind of rule that's coming in but not only you know they're going to have to do it differently they're going to have to do it quarterly yeah whereas now it's once a year um 10 months after the tax year ends and in the uk the tax year ends in april it's a little bit different from the us where it's calendar year um and they don't have to file their taxes till january in in two years time they're going to have to do it on a quarterly basis every three months um and they're going to have to actually do it in year so whilst the the, the tax year is going on and a lot of people don't know about this. So in terms of, you know, talking about finding where the users are, there's a huge amount of education. And what we're doing is we're building a tool, an app that enables people to do all of that and stay compliant and file their returns automatically. But at the same time, you know, we've got a feature that, that enables people to get paid. So the self-employed you know, a, a kind of basic invoicing functionality that enables people to actually get paid through, we have open banking in the UK. And what that means is that it's really like an account to account transfer, but without um, giving the user 
that's paying your bank details or even specifying the amount or, or having them to kind of key it in, it's all automatic through the banking app. Um, so you just ask, request it, they click a couple of buttons and then it pays through their banking app directly and it's immediate. So it saves them costs as well on card um, and check transactions uh, on there too. So it controls their costs um, uh, on there too. But But fundamentally, you know, we're pulling all of that data together with open banking and we're helping them file their tax returns directly. Got it. And so uh, potentially a small business um, doesn't need to work with a, a tax preparer in your case, right? If they're using your app. Yeah. So so um, we work with accountants um, uh, too, but because we, whilst we won't replace accountants on there too, there'll be a lot of complex kind of cases where, where what we do is we refer across to accountants. But a lot of people have very basic tax needs um, uh, and they might spend a lot of money on an accountant um, uh, to do that. Uh, we can solve that um, uh, you know, problem for them um, at a lower cost and uh, digitally. Uh, and then we'll work with accountants too to help them manage their clients digitally too um, to enable them to um, meet the regulation uh, and the rules that are coming in, in in a couple of years' time too. Okay, got it. And and maybe go to RD next. Um, tell us about the CETA and and where where are you fitting in and and what um, some of the pain points that we talked about are you addressing? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> first of all, I'm taking down notes for and and hopefully context for everyone else here. Uh, but I, I think. Um, from Visita standpoint, we were looking when we were analyzing the small business space, and obviously that's a huge uh, amount of different types of professions, different types of um, businesses. We're focusing specifically on the service provider uh, market. Uh, I think Derek mentioned underserved. This is by far, even in terms of small businesses, the most uh, underserved segment. And that's, um, you know, at, at, at the same time, this is also the biggest uh, uh, segment. This is 90% of small businesses are service providers that would normally be working, uh, you know, on their phones with their contacts, with their WhatsApp, uh, Excel sheets, uh, some of them with uh, pen and paper. And we uh, are really trying to, to take their business and bring it to the digital age by really giving them the benefits of uh, what would traditionally be enterprise technology, a CRM, an ability to automate processes, an ability to uh, engage with their clients at scale. And we're really bringing that and redesigning it, rethinking it from a micro business perspective. So, I mean, I often use an example because I realize that's a lot of words that I've just thrown here. But uh, if we think of, you know, any yoga studio, like the yoga studio next to you, they would normally have um, several instructors in different disciplines. They would have uh, clients that are beginners, clients that are advanced. Uh, some of them will be doing one-on-one -on -one sessions. Some of them will be doing uh, classes. Uh, some of them will be paying uh, per session. Some of them bought uh, a package of uh, 10 sessions for the price of nine. 
some of them got a coupon uh, ahead of summer and others have a subscription that allows them to join all classes as long as they signed up in advance to the available spots. And if we take it COVID uh, into consideration as well, nowadays some of them will be taking the class online, some of them will be physically on premise. That is a lot of, you know, business brains for that small business owner to manage on a day-to-day basis. So there's elements here of how they manage their time and their uh, instructor's time. There's elements here of what do they, what record they have of their clients and how do they keep their record of their clients? How do they make sure that those clients don't kind of fade away um, by engaging with them through marketing? And at the end of the day, how do they make sure that everyone paid for what they should have paid for um, at the end of the month? So we're we're looking at that triangle of time, money, and clients, and kind of managing the business brains for our businesses. We're doing that across um, all service provider verticals, and yeah, that's quite that's quite a challenge. Uh, that's why we're definitely partnering wherever we can so that's just uh, uh, to put that out there as well that we are partnering with complementary technologies to make sure that we serve the segment together uh, as opposed to fragment it further got it yeah so a crm plus digital plus uh, payments and 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 financial aspects kind of all combined into one maybe a mobile app so it makes uh, life very easy oh that's wonderful thank you um thank you adi and and uh, a quick follow up um geographically are you in israel or expanding can you talk a little bit about that well we're we're an american company uh we're based out of bellevue um seattle like seattle area uh we do have development offices uh out in tel aviv uh that's where um most of our developers are uh but that that's thanks to uh startup nation i'm sure near can speak further about that uh but we're covering we have global coverage um and we're working, you know, 60% of our audience would be nowadays in the US and the other 40 mainly in Europe, Australia, South Africa. So, yeah, quite, quite, quite the global footprint as well. Awesome. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, maybe go to you, Nathan. You talked about the time and resources constraint. Escrow is somewhat, we kind of just use it when when we need it it's not an everyday thing so talk a little bit about z-suite and how what you're solving yeah absolutely um a lot of the the time and operational costs first off is driven by a lot of legal ramifications which is something that paul had mentioned quite a bit you know united on the on the tax side there in the uk um but the reason that you know there's a lot of people that don't know anything about escrow and it's because tons of people don't touch it but the people that do have a huge pain point. And that was one of the things that I love that Adi brought up a little bit in regards to uh, what her firm is doing in regards to like, okay, there's small businesses, but there's tons of different small businesses. Um, A small restaurant owner has very different needs than a small tax accountant versus um, a small law firm, right? I mean, there's very, there, there are certain things that all of them need. And in that case you have, um, you know, more, 
general population or mass market type approaches to it, but it's when you really dig deep and understand specific use cases of unique pain points that individually might not seem big enough for a business to attack that when you step back a little bit and kind of get the idea of the whole spectrum that it actually seems pretty large. And that's, that's, you know, one of the things that we continually look at is instead of just talking about small businesses, let's talk about what types of small businesses and what exists from that perspective. So Z suite, for example, I mean, when you talk about escrow and sub accounts, depending on which state you're in, um, it could real estate offices deal with these all the times, title companies, property managers and landlords, law firms, funeral homes, nursing homes. So when you start digging deeper into, okay, who has issues with this one particular pain point based off of legal reasons in regards to, you know, where does the money need to be held? Is there interest? Does the interest go to the person you're holding the money for or to the business? Um, what do they need to do in regards to the notifications of the receiving of payments? Like these different types of things that all of them are regulated. Is there a pain point, a broader pain point that we can actually um, address that now makes the folks that are working in the real estate offices, the property managers, the law firms, people at funeral homes, nursing homes, et cetera, be like, wow, you, not only do you understand small business, you understand my business. And it, and it creates a magical moment, which is, uh, which is really powerful and, and great and something that we're really focused on um, and being able to help and solve. Yeah, the generalists versus the, the folks that understand the business, right? Everyone wants them. Um, and, and we're seeing that trend in the challenger banking space, right? Everything is becoming kind of not just a challenger bank, but kind of a lifestyle op uh, application or, or a segment specific, right? Targeting specific segments and small business in, in, in every which way is, is one of the segments that need a lot of help. No, thank you. Um, thank you, Nathan. Um, so Nir and Armenta, maybe I'll get you in on sales and marketing um, because you brought that up. Um, whoever wants to go first, but talk a little bit to small businesses as we established, right? They, they are in the business, so they, they don't have the kind of resources and time to, to market, to write content about what they're doing or find lead, generating leads or, or kind of filling their pipeline or working on their pipeline. So how, what are some of the new approaches that I think you are seeing in the market that's happening? Shall I start? Okay, so um, I think, Perry, that one of the new approaches here, you mentioned content, right? And content nowadays is everything. So uh, I think that now now uh, the new approach uh, should be to, to catch your customer in the right channel. There are so many channels. We're now talking Clubhouse, there are uh, Connect Club and so many other channels uh, like WhatsApp or uh, email, newsletter and social media networks that you can catch your potential client. But I think that if you're working on the multi-channel approach, if you're working on the right content that delivered in the right channel, so you'll probably have a better conversion rate and better onboarding, better chance to onboarding your, your potential client. Um, we basically help the companies we're working with to not just phrase the right content and the right text. Uh, it's not just about the copy and the wording. It's also about the approach. By the way, it's also about the product. The value proposition uh, is super important. I touched that on our last point here, and everybody mentioned here uh, previously in, the, in this discussion that 
uh, we're talking about highly regulated markets. The financial market in different ter ter territories is a highly regulated market, and we should approach different markets with different value propositions. So we are helping these companies to reshape their value proposition, to work on a uh, product aspects, basically to work on product market fit, uh, to work about the strategy, and to deliver the best product they can according to the um, current regulation. So I think that the new approach should be the right product to the right market and meeting your potential client in the channel that he wants to meet you. And I think uh, if you follow these very basic rules, you probably have a greater chances to uh, onboard new clients. Yeah, but you, you are part of such an organization, I think, the, with the Tel Aviv FinTech Association. So you, you probably do this to your clients. Are you seeing more models like this uh, near or is your model super successful in, in um, supporting your ecosystem with what you just described? So, yeah, we're currently working with, in the Israeli FinTech Association, we're in touch with about 850, give or take, different uh, fintech companies uh, they're offering different solutions in really variety of sub segments we're not talking just about payments here fintech is not just paypal as we all know we're talking about risk assessment and underwriting solution we're including blockchain and cryptocurrency solutions in there um, any cybersecurity solution designated for the financial industry uh, it's of course included in this list uh, including authentication anti fraud identity management, identity theft, etc. Um, we are, um, of course, uh, talking about wealth management solutions or capital market solutions, all kinds of trading platforms. Uh, we're talking about alternative lenders, uh, financial planning and financial education applications, um, many insurtech uh, solutions uh, in our lists as well, and reg tech and compliance, as we, we just mentioned, that you can't go without, without them. So... Um, yeah, we, we definitely help all these guys to, to reshape their value proposition. We know these, we know similar models working in different markets. We also we're based in Israel, but it's maybe important to mention that 90% of the Israeli startup companies, 9-0 of the Israeli startup companies, are, are exporting their solutions to different markets. Um, there are only 10% of the uh, solutions of the tech solutions in Israel that consider Israel as a market. Uh, Israel is a very small market with hardly 9 million citizens. Uh, we are usually uh, exporting our solutions to different markets and reshaping the value proposition to suit different uh, um, regulatory regimes in different markets is a super important thing. So, yeah, we do that globally. We work with the startups uh, in our lists to uh, help them to do that in a global scale. Yeah. No, thank, thank you. Araminta, I think Nair underscored the importance of content. Um, iValley, uh, as some of you know, um, does a lot of content and we're kind of uh, like a media property and we, we've been doing this since 2016. A lot of the VC firms in the Valley are kind of starting off um, kind of media properties, if you will. The, 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 the argument being or, or, or the reason being um, is that it's not only important to build the future, invest in the future, but it's also important to write and talk about the future. I think you're in the middle of that, Armenta. Um, you you do that, but my question to you is: Yeah, the startups with venture backing they have the resources to kind of spend on something like that. But if you're talking about the restauranter and other small businesses like some of what Adi kind of talk about, the service provider, the single owner, small business, 
what what's your guideline how how will they kind of generate content to attract what what's how can they um i mean i'm going to be a bit honest here i don't really work for restaurateurs or or small law firms or small businesses i these are not the kind of companies that i help i help fintech companies which is a little bit different uh so what i can touch on is uh, a little bit on content marketing and then what I see fintech companies are doing in order to reach out to these small businesses, uh, because from what I understand, most people here listening are fintech companies, right? They're trying to reach out to these small businesses. In terms of content, I think everyone, uh, you, Paddy and Nir have kind of touched on it. Um, why is content so important nowadays? There's a statistic out there that says that like 80% of the decision has already been, been made by the time a company reaches out to a provider or to a marketing agency or whatever. And that's because people like doing their research, right? And with Google and, and online. And so really you want to be part of that research. You want to be giving them that information so that, you know, you're part of the research and, and when they when it's time to make a decision, they think of you. This is why content is important and, and it's kind of probably the future. Um, in terms of what I'm seeing fintech companies doing to, to reach out to these small businesses, it's all about really understanding inside out who they are. And I think what Nathan was saying was really interesting and uh, completely true how every single, there's so many different sectors and you kind of need to understand the different problems that every single one is going through. Uh, so I can use an example. I recently uh, had Oak North on the on the podcast and their target, this is Oak North is a, a lending company and they lend, they, they issue loans of 500 million pounds to a lot more. Um, so it's minimum, it's minimum. So it's not, we're not talking about small startups here. We're talking about bigger companies and, and you know, they, they decided to focus on one marketing activity that would work, which is um, having entrepreneurs over for dinner at the CEO's house. I think there were like monthly dinners instead of, you know, going on social media or uh, one could even argue content, right? Um, or, or other marketing activities that everyone tells you to do, they were like, well, okay, sure, that, that brings in a lot of leads, but they're not very high quality leads. We need to go where we know are these much higher quality uh, people who will actually um, serve or, or be interested in what we do. So I think it comes down to do a lot of customer research, understanding them inside out, uh, testing, and then once you've figured out that marketing approach that offers the most traction, you kind of go full on. That's likely applicable also to restaurateurs and to small businesses. But I mean, you know, it kind of depends on, on each sector. Each sector is so different. I'm not sure how, yeah, how to generalize there. So yeah, I, hopefully that's useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is useful. I'm not, not, didn't mean to put you on the spot there, Armentai. I know that you kind of uh, write, write or work with fintech companies, but uh, I think oh, how I was seeing it is that maybe it's an opportunity for some of these small business fintechs like Audi's, Visita or, or Derek's um, auto books to also address the sales and marketing aspects, right? You know, give them kind of a digital presence or help support them in their kind of sales and marketing and even content uh, marketing aspects. But it's something, something to think about. Uh, but thank you. Thank you all for uh, those remarks. Uh, I see we're kind of almost close to the top of the hour. I wanted to do a reset kind of in the middle, but I'll do a quick reset. And then um, I have a couple of other questions that I want to pose to you guys. So 
For those who are just joining, you're listening to the FinTech Talk Show. I'm your host, Patty Ramanathan. We're speaking to a very diverse group and sophisticated perspective on challenger banks and fintechs for SMBs or small businesses. Listeners may find it uh, very useful to understand how fintechs are uniquely positioned for SMBs, what they're doing to differentiate from big tech and the first generation fintechs like Square, what opportunities do they see and what the challenges do they face. If you want to learn more, don't go anywhere we're not wrapping up um, we have a couple of rounds planned we usually go over 1 p.m pacific but if you have a friend who would like to like the topic don't be shy to hit the plus button invite them over nudge them and if you want to participate i know several people raised hands and then uh, raise them back just back channel me uh, on on clubhouse that you're okay to be recorded and then i'll bring you up um, definitely come in for I have a couple of more rounds of questions, but definitely uh, um, encourage audience participation as well. So those who raised your hand, if you want to come back, do come back. Uh, do check out our Substack site, fintechtalk.substack.com. Do register, um, and we recap uh, most of these conversations there. And we're going to publish from today um, kind of a podcast there as well, or just a recording. So, guys, um, I think some of you, I think Derek and and maybe Nathan, uh, you talked about it too, um, the the direct to consumer or direct to small business, I should say, DTSB, uh, versus partnership with bank or other channels, right? There's obviously pros and cons on on both sides. Um, several first generation fintech like Square, SoFi, and others now have they have a banking license, so there are huge emphasis on. Um, uh, direct marketing and getting the SMB. As you all know, Square recently announced a small business checking account, I think only in the US, um, but but they're, they're targeting that space and it's potentially a competition for banks. Um, so the question to you is, um, I think some of you are choosing one model over the other. Uh, so talk about that and and why why are you focusing on that um so um maybe derek yeah go yeah i kind of hit on it earlier i mean for us it was um as as an organization how do you go raise enough capital to go compete against square paypal uh quickbooks of the world direct to consumer you know in a timely fashion and so when we looked at the market, we see opportunity where there's a large underserved market, which is small business owners, micro business owners, and our background in, you know, mine specifically in the teams of working in core banking, digital banking, other fintech services, understanding that there's only, you know, a certain number of technology companies that really power the vast majority of financial institutions in the country. It's how do you go help a massively underserved market? Uh, via leveraged distribution. And so it was, uh, you know, a lot of it is an economic decision. And so we can go and create um, integrations with the, the, the dominant, dominant vendors, if you will. We can build the solution that fits the need. Um, you know, we are also a big jobs to be done shop, as Paul has mentioned a couple of times. And we have a really firm grasp around the jobs that business owners have when it comes to cash flow management and accepting payments specific to their banking relationship. And so we're building out um, around those, those capabilities and then leveraging the existing relationship, branch network, uh, infrastructure in place uh, with the financial institutions to go to market and to, quite frankly, make an impact 
in, with business owners. Got it. And and Paul, uh, and we talk about Square because they made the recent announcement. If you go up the chain, so to speak, and talk about Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Apple recently announced uh, a BNPL buy now pay later with Goldman. So they're getting big into fintech. So I think Derek raises this point about capital and how the importance of partnership. But can fintechs like yours? Can they take on this kind of first-generation fintechs and big tech competition? If so, how? Uh, well, it's interesting, um, and you know, being in kind of tech space, we're we're already seeing certainly in the US, um, probably the next level down, which I think is where where we really need to be looking. Not necessarily the Apple and the Google and the Facebook and Amazon side, but next level down, the squares, the stripes the Spotify's, if you look at Square, um, you know, when Intuit divested Credit Karma tax, Square um, uh, or Cash App, um, you know, purchased that. Uh, you got Stripe's acquisition of TaxJar. Um, it's really, that's kind of where on the tax side, we're starting to see some uh, movement, which is really exciting, um, uh, you know, in, in a space that people are starting to talk about tax um, a little bit more on there too. So I think, you know, in terms of competing, we're going to see more of the next level um, down kind of uh, tech, not the, the the kind of first tier giants, but maybe the second tier or some of them are becoming first tier, like Stripe, for example, um, starting to, to kind of come into this space. And the, the extension of um, Square into banking uh, in Shopify, which I think is a sleeping giant, whether in terms of... Um, uh, small business, uh, certainly kind of for the online merchants. Um, that's where I think that there's going to be a, a lot of activity. And if you think about, um, uh, take Shopify as an example, you know, when I looked last year, and I, I haven't looked recently, but they have over 5,000 apps in their marketplace, which plug into Shopify in a number of areas. And I think when I looked whether there was only 20 or 30 that were financial apps but then they launched um shopify um I think shopify capital uh, they started doing banking services too so there's definitely a um you know a a growing movement amongst these um uh you know tech giants in that second level and i think the most interesting piece is they have a lot of distribution in place already so i think that there's there's opportunities for fintechs to partner at that level on the big tech side of things and also um, still with the same partnerships with banks. And um, um, the, the other one that's really interesting and, and the one that we explore a lot is is looking at communities. So so I think somebody said earlier around going to where kind of, you know, finding the users, Addy said, finding the users and where they are. Um, it is, you know, a lot of them are, let's say, gig workers. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who tried side, side hustles and, you know, that's the growing kind of trend now, I think, in terms of gig work, certainly in the US and, and we're seeing it a lot in the UK, um, you know, looking at where those companies or those companies that are employing or not necessarily employing, but have gig workers working for them. There's a bit of a kind of legal um, um, uh, whether in the UK, whether they work for them or they're employed, but they're self-employed. Um, you know, working with companies like that um, that have big communities of self-employed and business owners um, uh, is another um, area where, where we're exploring as well. Got it. Yeah, no. Uh, 
Others, feel free to chime in. I, I think bank partnerships, big tech partnership. I heard the cooptation aspect, right? So they might become competitors, but also maybe partners um, and, and the gig economy workers. So others, uh, feel free to um, chime in if you have. Um... If I may. Yeah. Hi. This is Adi. I, I think there's a, f first of all, uh, we look at this from the perspective of, of a customer of a company that didn't make the choice we have both direct and channels uh, partnerships so I can possibly give insight uh, to both and also how they uh, you can leverage on having a direct channel and having that proximity to the end customer to then bring that extra knowledge and and that value to the channel. But I, I, I think there's also another uh, question here. And again, picking up on that concept of uh, finding the customers where they are. If you ask, and this is something that, of course, people regularly do, that they run surveys um, that ask small business owners where would they like to see, you know, to receive advice or where, where would their all-in-one or super app uh, be in terms of, you know, who, who is their trusted advisor, you get all kinds of responses. And, and that is very much uh, a question of the profile of the business owner as opposed to whether or not uh, we would like to approach them in a certain way. And a lot of them say, uh, I will always buy tech directly from the SaaS provider uh you know that is you know they're looking for that uh innovation they're looking for you know the tech techie seal on their products and a lot of them say i think an equal amount if not more say i want to buy all of my technology and have all of my financials served from a single place and that would be my bank uh we see a huge trend right now of uh, younger people saying, I want it from my bank, but I want my bank to be different to the banks that my parents uh, banked with previously, which is driving the growth of challenger banks. So I think, um, as Derek said earlier, the, 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 the industry is very fragmented, and that means that consumers have a lot of choice and that they there's in a way, plenty of, of customers to go around uh, all of these different uh, apps and all of these different approaches. And, you know, I, I think it's not necessarily, as you said as well, it's not necessarily one or the other. It's also a question of uh, do you partner strategically to reach the audience where they prefer to be reached? Great. Um, thank you for that. Uh, go ahead, Neil. Yeah, Adi, you know, I fully agree with what Adi just said. And, you know, if we look at the, at the, at the trend, I think that the, at the beginning, companies like PayPal, um, that, you know, they were maybe the first fintech to go B2C and to try to disrupt the banking industry. But if we look now at the fintech industry and fintech space in general, the trend is going with the banks and helping the banks. I did just say that they have two streams. They go B2B2C and they go uh, B2C um, or B2B and B2C. But I guess that the, the main trend here is to be not just a disruptor, but also an enabler. 
to the financial industry means that I can also sell to end clients and disrupt the traditional banking industry, but I can also support the banking industry to, to work in a much efficient manner. And, you know, we talked about digital banks and uh, goes without saying digital banks are on the rise right now. Um, I think that the COVID-19 situation also backed them up with people trying to um, secure um, more banking applications and to use more banking applications um, in, in a digital way. Uh, we, we see you guys, you're in San Francisco in, in, in the area. You have Varro just raised one at $240 million Series D. And we have New Bank um, from uh, Brazil raised uh, $300 million um, last year. We have N26 operating in Berlin, Europe raised $100 million and, you know, Monzo as well. So we see the rounds are huge and uh, the valuations are really unbelievable. And this is because the value proposition they offer, they offer much more to the end client. So it's not just the mobile-centric approach that all the youngsters are now looking for. It's much more integrated uh, personal finance management tools. And we talked about the cash flow and the cash flow a problem that small and medium businesses have. I think that small and medium businesses are also enjoying different offerings of challenger banks and digital banks. Um, usually they're much easier to use. They're much easier to onboard. Uh, they're much more transparent. Uh, challenger banks, that probably they'll be cheaper as well um, with low fees, much lower fees, or even free uh, usage. Uh, they offer... Uh, different extra features like frictional shares trading and different stuff that you know a, a traditional banking industry does not offer nowadays so obviously challenger banks are are there and i think that the big techs are also trying to compete this uh, and, and to join the party and uh, to compete with these companies and uh, of course the traditional financial industry they can only use fintech companies and get their support to be more innovative and to keep the competition running and to keep to to, to keep themselves in the game so they have yeah. to do that yeah i think Araminta and paul both of you were trying to get in go go ahead whoever wants to go first uh i'll, I'll jump in I, I, as i kind of worked in um banks for for a long time and, and now kind of in fintech as well um the the banks are notoriously slow um, um, uh, to kind of you know do a lot of things, whether they want to do a lot of things, but they've got so many things that they're trying to do that that by um, you know not by design, but just because there's so many things and so many priorities, whether it, things take a long time um, to do that. It's giving the opportunities previously, as Addy says, for um, uh, for challengers to kind of rise and and provide you know better services, better values. But the banks, certainly in the UK, have, have started to catch up and they're starting to offer solutions that match, um, uh, you know, what the challenger banks have done. And, and basically, the challenger banks have, have essentially written the roadmap for um, the banks. So there's, there's a lot of on the par banking there. But now with open banking in the UK, we're also starting to see people um, uh, provide solutions over the top of banking with no need to have a license to provide the things that Nia was saying around fractional share um, uh, options. So fintechs are coming in that aren't, don't have a license, don't have challenger bank um, status, 
but actually are able to do account aggregation, uh, to do um, payment facilitation between um, accounts without having to you know, have that license. So I think we're going to see more and more over-the-top uh, banking or over-the-top kind of um, uh, fintechs that that's, can still offer all of those services and can be much more nimbler. And that's where, you know, if you think about the UK, we only have 300-odd banks within the UK where there's over, what, 10,000 in the US? Close to, to, yeah, close to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think yeah. it used to be 15,000 when, when I was there kind of 10 years ago. But, um, um, you know, it's still a, a you know, huge amount more. So um, I think, you know, there's still an opportunity for, for fintechs to partner with banks to move them faster and to move them ahead of the the challenges um, uh, as well, because there's limitation and capital requirements and things like that that are going to hold them back a little bit um, too. Uh, with obviously the exceptions near, the, as you mentioned, those banks that have you know uh, raised a, a lot of um, capital there to build a lot of that stuff in house and to also partner with other fintechs to power some of that functionality too. Yeah. Uh, um, if, okay. Sure. Um, Araminta, you were trying to get in early. I Go mean, ahead. it's just, uh, I'm just very short. I just wanted to piggyback on what Paul says and also kind of uh, respond to your early question about marketing and sales um, with a, with an example. Um, kind of everything that we're talking about here, you know, working on top of the banks. One, uh, one good example is unified commerce, which is essentially... Uh, it's the omni-channel stuff, so being able to purchase from your phone and from a computer at the same time. But on top of that, the merchant, the small business, the restaurant, or the yeah, the restaurant can see everything on one dashboard. Um, so they can see kind of when a when a user or when a customer buys from their phone, and then when they come into the shop, and then they buy inside the shop. So that's one way that the fintechs are helping with that. And then an example of, of what uh, Paul is talking about is a, a client of mine called Pomelo Pay, and they offer something called unified payments. And you have an amazing uh, situation where you've got a customer who can buy with a QR code. They, they don't even need to take out their, their cards. They just go in and use a, their phone to pay with their QR codes. Then they can also pay with remote payment links uh, if, you know, if it's like a contractor. Um, and then you've got e-commerce happening through an online shop. And then you've got, you know, APIs that are connecting with maybe the merchant. Uh, you're using a payment pr processor and then obviously it's connecting with the e-commerce, the, the shop, the online shop of the merchant. And so, um, yeah, I was just thinking that was a really interesting example. Uh, and yeah, good good use case just to, yeah, of, of what Paul was saying. That's what I wanted to say. Go okay, ahead, great. Yeah, Nathan, uh, maybe um, get your remarks and then go into closing, but go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was just going to add one additional thing that I hadn't heard touched on quite a bit in the direct model versus the partnering with banks model. Um, as you know, when, when Derek shared with AutoBooks from an economic perspective and the ability to get users and distribution as compared to some of the other um, providers that were already in the space, um, that have already, you know, built out that user base, et cetera. That's definitely kind of the first question that we all also looked at from a go-to-market perspective. If we can partner with banks that already have a built-in audience of users that we know are going to use it, that seems to be a very efficient marketing mechanism to be able to have direct connection of relationships that are created, that have trust, um, where we can get distribution of our products to be able to then help them save time and money, right? That was, that was kind of the, the first piece. 
But the second piece is, is after you worry about go to market, and in many cases for some of these startups like Square, PayPal, et cetera, after you achieve the dominance that you're looking for in regards to acquisition and you start thinking more about your overall lifetime profitability, there's only so much lifetime profitability you can create from a small business, especially if you're only helping them with a portion of their business or you're only helping them with cost savings or efficiency, right? So a company can only make as much money in relation to how much value that they could create within the business themselves. And so what's interesting when you throw a bank in there is that the overall profitability that a bank can get from a small business also includes the profitability that they can drive from their deposits as well as from their lending. So some initial estimates from our perspective, when we looked at how much value creation we had for a property manager, as an example, let's say just for intents and purposes, let's say that was a dollar of value creation because of the time that it saved. When we then looked at the time that we saved plus what a bank could make in lifetime profitability off of deposits and lending, in many instances, that was as much as 10x more. And so obviously, we're not the only ones that have seen this because this is exactly the reason that you're starting to see a lot of these direct-to-businesses or direct-to-consumer fintechs wanting to get deeper into the banking space is because they can do that exact same math that I just did. Right. And so it's an interesting race now to kind of watch, as Paul had mentioned, a lot of the banks are starting to figure out how to compete and moving faster and doing the things that they need to do. But at the same time, they did leave the door open for a lot of these bigger direct to fintech companies getting an established relationship with many of their customers. Yeah, no, good point. And obviously, assets have more leverage and interchange fees come in. So so if you're just solving operational perspective, you save a dollar. But if you kind of solve financial stuff, then you save 10 or more and so on, or there's potential. But thanks, Nathan. That was very well articulated. And um, I, I think a good point to keep in mind as fintechs like yourselves uh, design kind of your roadmap going forward as to what problems. And then and, and you also brought up that 360 view of the small business, right? If you're solving one pain point, that's one thing. But if you want dominance, if you kind of um, solve their entire um, uh, workflow, so to speak, um, then there's more chance of um, you capturing a bigger market. Um, it's uh, when you're having fun, time flies. Um, it's what, 75 minutes since we've been talking. I have really enjoyed it. But we have to build the futures we're talking about. So everyone has to go. And we're recording this and going to post it as a podcast. So we don't want to make it too long that people um, don't click on it. So I want to kind of go around the table and ask our esteemed panel, what does the future hold for small business fintech? And we talked a little bit about that already. But take your crystal ball off um, out. Um, will they morph into a challenger bank? Like I think Nir um, took some examples, kind of a small business. I think there's some already like that. Um, uh, I think one um, in France that I know of um, or a small business super app like that 360 degree uh, view, right? Taking everything that a small business known or, or the Shopify example, like which is an app store for small business. What will it be like? Will the super app like uh, kind of the day in life of a small business owner and then kind of on the competitive space, right? Um, 
looks like a lot of players ha- are seeing this as a growth market. So the banks, as, as Nathan just articulated, there's a lot of money to be made. Big tech, um, the tier one fintech, if I kind of can, can differentiate them as a separate segment. So a lot of them are in the race. Who will win? So take your crystal ball and tell us your prediction of this pace. And I will let you... Um, or I'll give it, uh, give you choice to go. Whoever wants to go first, who wants to go first? I can go first. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so, I think I think eventually, um, like the winner will be the small business owner, and I think um, it's we see a lot of a lot of spaces definitely in in fintech or in financial services that are and do remain fragmented over many, many years. The payments uh, uh, market has been uh, fragmented forever. Um, I don't think necessarily there needs to be, um, you know, a single winner over others, but rather that there will be more choice for the businesses that are looking to become, whether it's more efficient or, or you know, free up more of their time or communicate better with the ecosystem. I think there's definitely enough small businesses to go around and then some. We're not even close to covering um, you know, to, to good coverage of the market opportunity. That's it. Even now with all of this competition, it's a blue ocean still. And I think it depends, it will depend greatly on the persona of the small business and their preference. And this is where we want to be. I think we all mentioned the word underserved. I think our first and foremost uh, challenge is to serve. And, uh, you know, if, if we're talking about an underserved market and we're putting more options and more opportunities into an underserved market, first and foremost, it's going to be served. Will it be saturated? I don't think anytime soon. Great. Yeah, I can. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I can add to that. I mean, yeah, probably the future of small and medium businesses in terms of innovation and technology um, relies on two aspects. I think that we should um, talk about the back end and about the front end. So we were talking about cash flow management and cash flow difficulties for small and medium businesses. And yes, that's inherent in every small and medium business. I mean, it's a given. So talking about the back end, yeah, data points, this is the key. Working with your data, working with your uh, accountant, as Paul mentioned before, uh, on, on different automations, auto- automatic processes, robotic process automation in the back end of uh, text reports or other stuff. So this is super important. And small and medium businesses are working hard to deal with bureaucracy. So talking about back end processes, uh, undoubtedly, this is going to be a game changer for small and medium businesses to adopt back-end solutions. Talking about the front-end, and we discussed this before as well, client engagement, uh, seamless onboarding, KYC, KYB sometimes, depends if you're selling to businesses, sometimes it's even KYT in terms of know your transaction, uh, if you're dealing with uh, uh, cryptocurrencies or with stocks. So, you know, these kind of things are super important to basically have a better conversion rates. This is the only thing that the small and medium business wants to do to improve the sales uh, cycle, 
to improve the uh, chance to have a sale uh, from a starting point to an end point, a quicker sales cycle. This is the end goal. So front end solutions as well. Uh, I think this should be the next leap for small and medium businesses to integrate this kind of solution. So if we're talking about the future of small and medium businesses in, in terms of technology, we should definitely talk about these two aspects, front-end and back-end, and we'll see different fintechs and other startup companies solving all kinds of challenges in both these streams. Go um, ahead, Armento. Yeah, just to jump in on that, I think we can all agree that the future is only going to be more digital, and in order for small businesses to understand digital and to use digital to grow, fintech is an inherent part of that. In order to accept online payments, you need fintech. In order to accept offline payments, you're soon going to, you need fintech too, since cash is just uh, disappearing slowly. Um, in order to, anything to do with payments is going to be fintech. And so uh, in the future, I've, I read this in the newsletter recently, fintech is going to be a trillion dollar industry, most likely, and it's not even going to be it's going to be like, uh, I don't know, the internet almost. It's just an inherent part of digital. So I think it'll just, uh, it, you know, merchants will be using fintech to enable a much better customer experience. And as other people have mentioned, at the end of the day, small businesses just want to be able to do what they love and all the admin and all the boring stuff, they can leave that to someone else and fintech helps with that. So I just think it's just it's just more of what we're seeing at the moment. Yep, I will. I will add to that. I echo that statement. I I commonly refer to business owners as like they're like running water, and they're going to find the lowest point of resistance, and that's where they're going to reside. And so, if um, you know, if I'm a uh, a software company that's built a really great app that enables landscapers to provide estimates and do invoicing and manage their business and I can, and that app provider embeds FinTech and I'm a business owner and it's super easy for me to do everything through that app provider, then I'm going to run my business and finances there long-term. If financial institutions can figure it out and make it simple for business owners to do the basic things that they need as they see fit related to um, you know, collection of customer payments, access to capital, et cetera, et cetera, then I think that they will be able to win the day with many relationships as well. I think it will remain fragmented, but those providers that find the easiest on-ramps and provide access to the tools and the utility is defined by least path of resistance to the business owners are going to be the ones that win the day. Awesome. Go ahead, Nathan. Uh, well, first, I would like to start off saying I loved Addie's response that she predicts that the real winners are going to be the small businesses because I totally agree with that. It's going to be easier and easier and easier to start and run small businesses um, in the future. And I think that's really exciting on who's going to be the winner. Is it going to be and from model perspective? Is it going to be direct to or is it going to be through bank partnerships? I think that's going to continue to be a competition uh, moving forward and that there's enough space for both of them. From a fintech provider, I think that there's the, the natural state of technology is to be more of a monopoly or oligopoly. So I think that there are going to be winners and losers. And the people that are going to continue to win or the businesses that are going to continue to win are redefining markets 
to be able to create their own monopoly and oligopoly for a smaller niche that they're focused on. Uh, me left. Um, uh, so, uh, if, if you follow me on social media, you'll know I've got a, a favorite um, hashtag, which is um, SME Super Apps are coming, um, uh, and I I firmly believe whether that um, you know if the model for um, in Asia around super apps was there for consumers. The model for the Western world is is there for small business owners. Um, I think Matt Harris from Bain said there are over 14,000 pieces of software for small business owners, and this was a couple of years ago. So so my prediction is that there's going to be, I mean, fintech is already a, a, a kind of um, you know, great ecosystem, a very open ecosystem. That, that ecosystem is going to be more open um, it's going to go beyond banking uh, to to kind of solve problems that are not just financial um, side of things on the banking side, um, and I think that effort to do that is going to require. Yeah, you know, it's it, there's a long term effort to require to create long term value, which needs to start now. Um, and uh, you know, these super apps that are coming will have a, a super disruptive and dominant ecosystem already in place. And whilst small business owners, going back to what people were saying, aren't aware of these solutions yet, they don't know what's out there, they need help, um, their thirst for convenience, simplicity, clarity kind of in, in, their, in their business lives and personal lives, I think we'll see a, um, you know, a number of players, and banks included, envelop themselves around them before they realize it. And I think banks have a really great opportunity to partner with fintechs to create those, extend those solutions for small business owners. And one of the things that they've got is that relationship um, uh, with their bank. So whilst people want to go to their bank and talk to their bank about these, um, as, as Addy was saying, I think earlier, um, the banks have an opportunity to help business owners know what apps are out there, know what that can help them do those jobs to be done. And I think Addy said it perfectly. The winner will be the small business owners. Awesome. I like that uh, sentiment as well. Um, whether it's more choices, more digital fintech as its own um, industry, or the SME super apps, the SMEs and the small business owners win. I love that. And when all of that happens, we'll definitely be talking about that on this show, the Fintech Talk Show. Uh, let me thank all the speakers and the audience for sticking around. It's almost 1.30. And, and thank you, speakers, for sharing your view so ge generously. For the FinTech Talk show schedule, please go to fintechtalk.co. We have some shows planned for the coming weeks. And, and since this is being recorded, um, it's fintechtalk.co fintech always has our schedule. Uh, usually our shows are Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific. Uh, definitely subscribe or check out our substack, fintechtalk.substack.co. Thank you all. I'll leave the room open for a few seconds um, if you uh, have to make any announcements of anything upcoming. But um, it, this is a wrap. Thank you. Thanks very much, Patty. Thank you very much. I appreciate Thank it. You, it. Thanks, everybody, on the panel. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.